You're listening to the NFL on TuneIn. It's No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. It's our good friend Steve Weich of NFL Network. Check him out every Monday. The Aftermath. It's must-see TV, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Steve, a great chance to speak with you, and it's always a pleasure, since you've covered the Colin Kaepernick story since it happened last preseason. You were in the locker room that night and were part of the media that Colin was addressing. Is Eric Reed of the 49ers, who you'll recall, took a knee next to Kaepernick last year, correct, in saying that Kaepernick's original message has been lost based on the transformation of what we've been seeing recently at NFL stadiums. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, just to kind of expand on, on where you guys were going, I think Cordell n- nailed it. I mean, players are linking arms, owners are joining in, in response to President Trump's remarks, because no owner even dared show his face or speak about this, really, until they were called out by the president. When he said, oh, these guys are so awesome. This is fire, these players, for protesting the flag. So all of a sudden, the owners were like, uh-oh. And then a couple of them put out statements, and as owners will do, but they don't want to be left out. So everybody kind of joined in. And you could tell by some of the messages, they were very reluctant in what they said or very careful in what they said. As for other players joining in, They didn't do that until these remarks were made because they were singled out. And, you know, my whole feeling, somebody somebody texted me before the weekend said, I hope everybody kneels this weekend. And my approach was, to me, that would come off as phony because if you weren't kneeling for what Colin Kaepernick and other players, Eric Reed among them, had had done initially – then you you doing this now seems kind of phony. You know, like, you know, hey, you know, you, you just got called out, but what are you really kneeling for? So I think the message of Colin Kaepernick, and I was the first one to interview him when he sat down in that preseason game against the Packers, he was saying, look, I can't sit here and, and watch, you know, policemen shoot unarmed black men for the court system not to prosecute um you know, police officers and law enforcement who are who are doing wrong. I can't I can't stand here and and, and think that's okay. And, and that was the message. That was the original purpose. As much as people like Eric Reed are trying to get that across now, all people are really talking about is being called SOBs by President Number Forty Five. Steve, when you see how things have, have has evolved so so far with the protests, air quotes. Because it's owners, because it's coaches, because it's players, do you think the ones who are kneeling now are being hypocritical towards the stance that Colin Kaepernick took? Because as you mentioned, it was the original. Aren't they being hypocritical? Because no one was thinking about taking a stance for the most part. You had a few guys that came along and went along with it and and was right there. Uh, But the masses that are doing it now, do you feel like they're being so hypocritical to the point where – they're almost going to have to save face and basically give Colin Kaepernick the opportunity to get back in the game. Because from afar, if you're a fan and you're not a, uh, let's just say you're not a fan and you're just watching what the National Football League is doing, it makes it seem as if the National Football League looked like they're completely confused because Colin Kaepernick did and it was a problem. But now the majority is doing it and it seems as if Colin doesn't even matter anymore if he even, even exists or even started this run. Well, I'm not going to call. I'm not going to make a sweeping statement and say these guys are being hypocrites because some of these guys may have wanted to do something, and now that they've got the guy to the left and the guy to the right doing it for whatever their reasons are, 
they feel a little bit more comfortable. They don't feel as vulnerable about it. I mean, look, the message before all of this was, if you kneel, we're going to do you like Colin Kaepernick. You're going to be out of the league. You know, even though that didn't happen to Michael Bennett and Kenny Stills and, and some players like that, I mean, that's kind of how some players felt. So I do think some some players are really adhesing themselves to the message that Colin Kaepernick started and feel a little bit less vulnerable because other people are doing it. But, there, again, there are, there are other people doing it who, who it's more so in response to what President Trump said than necessarily what the message may be. The good thing about this is now you have Aaron Rodgers. You've got quarterbacks. You've got non-black players talking about this, and that's fueling it. You've got um, fans now who are incredibly angry or incredibly supportive. And, and one thing to harken back to in the preseason was Seahawks defensive lineman Michael Bennett said, and he said this after he had been arrested in Las Vegas, but before it became public, said, we have to get to the point where we are uncomfortable because that's the only way people are going to actually start to have proper discussions about this. And right now, I don't know about you, I'm uncomfortable. Everybody's uncomfortable. We don't know how, you know, look, we work in a business where, you know, the, the prosperity of the NFL keeps us employed, okay? We don't know how these angry fans, you know, we don't know how, and that's angry fans because of the protests, angry fans because Colin Kaepernick is unemployed. We don't know how this is going to affect our bottom line. So then they, that could trickle down to our to our existence. So it's uncomfortable in, in a lot of different ways, it's uncomfortable in this country. Um, there are players trying to do so many positive things and teams trying to do so many positive things. Hopefully now people can start to see the Seahawks and the Eagles and these guys doing ride-alongs. You heard Doug Baldwin on CNN the other night, the Seahawks wide receiver, saying, we need to fund police departments so they can be trained to de-escalate hostile situations. We need to fund, get the D.A.R.E. programs back in schools so kids don't necessarily view police officers as the bad guy. So there, there's a lot of things that cross every, every emotion everybody's feeling that are starting to come to the attention that hopefully, you know, it's so divisive coming from the top of this country that hopefully some of us can actually listen to what other people are saying instead of shouting them down. Well said. Now, Steve, my brother, you know I've lost too many jobs over the last 20 years, so let me keep us all employed by making the move to what's coming up on Sunday. You were embedded with the Rams for a good portion of time last year, making the transition from St. Louis to Southern California. Thoughtful pieces on NFL.com. Given what we've seen, small sample size to start the season from Jared Goff, how far has he already come working under new head coach Sean McVay? Very far. Very far. Look, I'll never forget when the Rams had a mini camp, they were training out at Oxford, had a mini camp last year, and they're saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to fix this offense to, to work his skill set because he came from one of these spread offenses at Cal. And the next thing I know, I see them giving him an 18-word play call that he, he can't even get out of the huddle. And I'm like, how is this helping your quarterback if he can't even get his guys out in the huddle? If, he, if you can't even get his, he can't get his receivers lined up, how are you helping him by giving him the alphabet to say before you get to the line of scrimmage? So now you see Sean McVay, first off, Jared Goff's getting more reps and things like this. He's designed an offense that plays to Goff's strengths, 
Um, you know, one thing they do, they do a lot of no huddle. So what he's doing, he's giving them the play call early in his helmet. They get up to the line of scrimmage. They see the defense uh, you know, opposite of them. So he can say, okay, you see right now there's a potential for a safety blitz coming here, and this is coming. Make sure you look for this. So he's helping him. He also helped him by getting some offensive linemen who can play and coming up with a scheme that works and getting Todd Gurley going. And they have receivers. For five years, the Rams did not give, whether it was Sam Bradford, whether it was Case Keen, they didn't give them receivers. Now you got Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods, uh, the, the Cooper Cup kid who looks, looks fantastic. They've, get, they've, they've built an offense for them. So they're, they're actually behaving as if they want to, to succeed and that they actually have a good overall blueprint, just not a Jared Goff blueprint. Speaking of an offense that's working for him, uh, it's not for Mike Glennon. When do you make the move to Mitchell Trubisky? Well, you're, you're talking about a coach in John Fox who went to the Super Bowl with Jake, Jake Delhomme, and he always hangs on to that. You know, he didn't necessarily want to make the move to Tim Tebow when he was in Denver, but, you know, the Kyle Orton thing wasn't quite working. So they had to figure out if Tebow can play. So this is a coach who knows he's on the hot seat, and by turning it over to a rookie, he's basically saying, I'm getting him on the field for somebody else to coach next year. At the same time, you're going to keep losing <laughs> Mike Lennon. Um, you know, that's – you know, that's not helping him either. So right now, Fox is in a completely unenviable situation where I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't. What I saw last night, yeah, Glennon wasn't very good, but I didn't see his receivers helping him out very much. Um, and I don't know if Mitchell Trubisky, you know, necessarily could have done better, but this is one of those you need to make change for change's sake. And think about this, Cordell, when you were playing, the Bears were one of the franchises everyone talked about. They are so off the grid right now. I mean, nobody talks about them except for the quarterback situation. They've got to do something to get back into the consciousness of the NFL fan. Taking you around the league with our great friend Steve Wyge, NFL Network. Check him out. It's the Aftermath Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern. Lively analysis based on what has gone down the day before. Steve, last one for me. Chargers are winless. I know they could have won on the road in Denver, and they could have won week two, but it didn't happen due to the kicking game. Now they're hosting Philadelphia. You're plugged in. How concerned are folks around the league that the Chargers are failing to gain any traction in Los Angeles? I mean, I'm sure there's some concern. I don't think anyone's flipping out right now because they knew this was a possibility. I mean, look, their, their whole thing is, Let's stay above water until you can get into the new stadium. They figure that this new stadium is going to cure a lot of ills. But, you know, look, you go to their games now. Someone told me, I didn't go to the game last week against the Chiefs, but they said it was almost all Chiefs fans in there. That's what's going to, but that's what's going to happen because folks from San Diego are so bitter they're not coming up. Um, they're the second team in L.A., so the first, the first wave is, is – are going to the Rams. Plus, the Rams play downtown. They just feel more ingrained. So the Chargers, you know, their initials, they go by the LAC. Who else goes by the LAC? The Los Angeles Clippers. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Is, is mean, the ship going to be sinking like Michael Ray uh, Richardson years ago with the Knicks? <laughs> you see, now you're taking me back to Lamont <laughs> Murray glory days of the Clippers. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be it's going to be tough for them because think about it, when they get to that new stadium. Philip Rivers is probably going to be done playing. Gates is going to be done playing. This, you know, around the league, I haven't heard panic, but I'm sure they are eyeballing this situation. 
Steve, always a distinct pleasure. Have a marvelous weekend. As we say goodbye, Cordell is the crooner on this show. He's Slash. He can do it all. The other day he was belting out some Lou Rawls, and I had a flashback. I don't remember much, thanks to Lunesta, when we worked together at 3 o'clock in the morning on NFL AM. But I believe we came to work on Christmas Day, and you were wearing an all-red ensemble a la Lou Rawls. Did that happen? No, I wore a black ensemble with the red pocket. Oh, that was that. Oh, that's a you'll never find another suit like mine. He he took us out. He took us. B-Web took us to commercial, to the bump. Yeah. You'll never find. <laughs> Made it happen. B Webb's got some pipes. I, I, I try to could. get. Hey, I try to get him to do it sometimes. Steve, he's like, you know, he wants to keep his job. You know, he's afraid to sing. I'm trying to get him to do keep it sometimes. He doesn't want to do it. Keep telling him, and and in memory of Lou Rawls, United Negro College Fund, a mind <laughs> is a terrible thing to waste. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. You're the best. You got it. You've been listening to No Huddle with Brian Weber and former Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Live on the NFL on TuneIn. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The National Football League is on. Tune in.